Good afternoon, Jeremiah. Hi, Vince. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. We have a beautiful day after days of rain. I know. Yes, there was. It's just been miserable. One of those hurricanes <laughs> or whatever went by. Um, but yeah, it's good to talk to you. You too. So today we're talking about another topic that can be very miserable for people, which is compensation. Yes, very important. Uh, it is really one of the key interfaces between a company and an employee. And it doesn't really get talked about very much, except sometimes in sort of unpleasant, intense conversations once a year. And that's not so great. So it would be better if people were better at being able to handle that conversation. It tends to be very stressful for people, right? Because it's in, in some ways an expression of personal value. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to have at some point in that conversation, a fairly unpleasant realization that the that the employee and the and the company value each other in different ways and, and that's not something we casually talk about in everyday conversation oh i think you're a person of this amount of value to me we would like to think that everyone values us highly and we value everyone else highly that's sort of the social behavior that gets us through the day and allows us to all work with yeah. each other on top of that, I think a lot of companies um, have a bit of a culture of secrecy around, around salaries, and employees are generally not encouraged to share those amongst each other um, because it tends to weed out inequity. Yeah, uh, that, that's definitely changing recently, as we know, with different court filings that's and right. different behaviors. And, it, and it's, it's probably a good thing. I mean, it's definitely a good thing that there's a little bit less secrecy. The secrecy is absolutely yeah. of benefit to the employer more than the employee. That's uh, right. And so less secrecy is good, but there is still just like with a discussion about value, a certain amount of discretion is actually helpful to people. Even if, if you talk about it in a, in a remote clinical way, people might say, no, secrecy at all times is bad. Eh, it's not really how the world works. So I guess we should preface this, right? We're, I'm, I'm U.S.-based, and I've never worked anywhere outside of the U.S., so I really can't give much of a perspective on Europe or Asia in terms of compensation. Yeah, that's actually uh, the same with me. I, I have dealt with people uh, on my teams who are moving to different regions, but as they move to different regions, I'm part of those compensation conversations, but then they're sort of taken over by another manager yeah. in that other region. And, and I think that's just the complexity of uh, how compensation works across the globe. You, you, uh, yeah. So yes. strong U.S. focus Obviously. on this compensation, and let's let, so let's talk about some of the the dimensions outside of of the compensation, right? So some things that help people level set where they are relative to the salary surveys that they see, and and the first thing that comes to mind for me is the geographic location. Right. A lot of yep, companies absolutely. Prior, prior to this pandemic had a, had a cost of living adjustment depending on the location, right? So there's a very high cost of living areas like San Francisco or Silicon DC. Valley. And then there are low cost of living areas like most of the southeast of the U.S. It's a lovely place to live. Yes. Yeah, um, and that's, that's one. Another one that's uh, pretty important in addition to location is a company is the industry. Uh, there are industries that have a, a totally different approach to compensation and therefore the actual way compensation is structured 
and the expectation for how much people are getting paid is significantly different. A really good example of this is the finance industry. People want to work in the finance industry to some extent because the finance industry is extremely uh, money driven and people do get paid more as a result of working in the finance industry. There are all sorts of compensatory things related to that, but it is one of the attractions of working in finance. That's a good point. And, and another factor then, let's say, is the expected hours to get a job done. There are nonprofits, right, and, and not-for-profits that expect a 35-hour work week. And then there's the companies like like you said, in finance or, or in other areas where you have to put in 60 plus hours just to get the job done, to stay above water. Yeah, you're getting paid a lot. In the US, yeah, right. You're getting paid a lot, but right. they're expecting a lot out of you. So that's the thing. If, if you're expecting you know, to put in 50% more hours, do you expect 50% higher compensation? So those things, you know, when you compare different jobs, right, those are not apples to apples comparisons. You have to adjust for that in terms of compensation. Yeah. Another thing that, that is out there, and I think it's uh, less significant, but it's still significant, is the size of the company you're at. Um, a company that is a larger size is going to have uh, generally a higher pay scale than a, than a company that has a smaller size. Um, and that's also related to just simply having a lot more um, titles and uh, employment yeah. levels than a smaller company. So that's well, that's a great point, right? Which is, which is a, a more clearly defined career path and way to get that promotion. It's not negotiated every time, you know, for every individual on a unique basis. There, there are standards to that, right? The larger the mm -hmm. company is. But yeah, we're talking about uh, tech people and there is something nice about tech people uh, related to other types of employment, say working at a farm or working at a factory, which is that uh, location is a lot more flexible. And so employees can move around in a, in a capitalist system. Uh, generally, the, the capitalist uh, would set up a factory and would have a certain amount of capital and, and would have a negotiating position, which was advantageous because of the fact that they were in that particular location and you couldn't find that work elsewhere. If you wanted to get out work, you'd have to move. Obviously today, and with tech and with the pandemic, it's easy to move around from employee to employee without actually having to change your own personal location, which definitely advantages is an advantage to the employee in a way it hasn't historically been, which is nice, which is one of the reasons people like to work in tech. That's right. Now, to, to one of your prior points, right, which is the sector that somebody is working in, a, a good principle to remember is the closer you are to, to the revenue generation, the, the higher that compensation will be, right? So if you're working for a company that sells technology and you're developing the technology that they sell, your compensation will tend to be higher than if you were working in a, in a sector where IT was treated as a cost center to be minimized. And often you'll have multiple aspects of the IT department in one of those companies. There, are the, there is the IT department side that is developing the revenue generation, generating products. And then there's the IT department side that is kind of like the IT department in, in every other right. uh, keeping sector the lights in the world, which, which is keeping the lights on. And those people are not necessarily going to be compensated the same way as the strategic uh, revenue growth people. That's right. So we talked about some of the kind of the dimensions of compensation and how to level set, you know, when you see a salary survey and ways to think about how you are relative to maybe, um, where that survey is, right? So not everybody who's a software developer should be expecting the compensation of 
an L8 at Google. I mean, they, they would like it. It would be nice. <laughs> That's right. A, mil a million plus? Yeah. I could figure out ways to put that to use. So let, then let's talk about the factors that go into that, that compensation. So you actually just brought up working from home and, and work conditions. This is something that's, that's changed for a lot of people recently, right? Where if your salary was previously set at a very high cost of living area, because those are just necessary levels to afford living there close to the office. And now with work from home, some of that is changing. People can start to live in, in lower cost areas. And some, some tech companies, right, are, are now allowing their employees to move out of of high cost areas and adjusting their salary down a little bit to allow for work from home. And we've talked about this before, but you know, co companies have been using that differential between uh, different regions of the United States um, to their advantage in, in turning an employee's head. Hey, you know, you come work for us, we're going to pay you 60,000 more, a hundred thousand more. And a lot of that differential is eaten up in the location change that happens. And it'll be interesting you know, people do have those budgets where they're expecting to, to pay a certain amount for someone in um, Seattle versus someone in yeah. you know, Missouri or something like that. And, and that's obviously going through some sort of nationwide renegotiation at the moment. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that conversation pans out over the next couple of years. Completely agree. And then there are standard, standard pieces of compensation, right, that everybody kind of expects also now. In, in pandemic times, right? Medical care, right? What are, what are the premium costs? What is the, the level of coverage? Even what are the um, HSA contributions if you have a high deductible plan? You know, I, yep. I actually um, just moved over to a, to a new company about six months ago. Prior to that, I had a really, really good HSA contribution. They put several thousand dollars in there every year just by default before I did anything else, which was nice. That's really nice. And, uh -huh. and um, that was like both HSA and healthcare, or you sort of had uh, health insurance, so you had to sort of choose which one? Um, the HSA comes with a, any high deductible plan. Yeah, so yeah, no yeah. flexible uh, spending account, none of, none of that stuff. But yeah. it, was that, it was that HSA base contribution they made that actually made that plan make more sense. Yep, that makes sense. HSAs are, are I, I looked at them for a while and I can't remember where the Rwan one at the moment. We kind of go back and forth um, as we change companies around. But um, those are kind of actually, in, in my view, retirement plans, uh, additional <laughs> retirement yeah. plans. Oh, yes. Because, you know, you know once, you, once you max out what you could do on other types of retirement plans, well, what is your you know, retirement expense going to be when you get to that age? It's going to be medical. And an HSA is kind of a way to put aside tax advantaged medical costs, uh, med medical funds, which then you can withdraw for medical problems in 2020, but in but uh -huh. when I become super old, like 21,000, then, then I'm gonna- <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah, you know, there, there are all kinds of tricks with the HSA and there's so much good reading about this one. But yeah, save your receipts and pay, your, pay yourself back someday in the future. Yeah, um, yeah. So next up, right, vacation time and or paid time off used to be that people would often separate sick days versus vacation days. And more and more, I see them pooled just into paid time off. And that's definitely something that people should consider negotiating as they sort of max out what they're doing with their um, actual salary. Yeah. And that's a benefit that, that tends to um, 
tends to get larger based on tenure. So I, I've seen a lot of companies where after five years, they get more, made more paid time off. After 10 years, they get more paid time off. It tends to, to max out, I think, after 10 years. I haven't seen anything beyond that. And, you know, one interesting thing there is that uh, very few of my managers have ever talked to me about the fact that that is like a compensation benefit to me that I should be noticing that the company is extending to me. Because one of the things that, you know, as a manager, you want to take into consideration is the value that an employee has from their ingrained experience in the company, the, the learned educational stuff that's going to be hard if you have to have to change from that employee to a new employee that's that's you're just on board onboarding and uh, extended uh, amounts of vacation and personal time is a way for the company to say hey we value you more for your learned experience at this company and that's something that i really don't ever have a conversation with my managers about whenever that happens they're just like oh you're on this you know you're this year you get more you get more vacation yeah and that's true right that there's so much power and value in, in an employee's context. Now, I've also seen employees be with a company for 20 years and have never worked outside of their cubicle walls, right? So that, that context isn't always just a function of time. It's, it's a function of time and effort. And people have Absolutely. to learn about the company. In general, but, uh, but it is very as the, the longer someone stays, the, the more valuable they're going to be because of that ingrained. And also one of the things we talked about in a prior episode is called um, salary inversion, right? Where if the market rate for somebody with, you know, Java software development skills or Python, right, is increasing by five to 10% a year and the company's only giving you a 3% raise, well, after five years, you're gonna be way off of what, what you'd be making in the market. And that tends to leave people either you know, dissatisfied with their compensation and negotiating for, you know, fix this to market or, you know, taking a job offer somewhere else. And, and it's often important in tech. A lot of people do have to job hop every few years just to keep pace with the market. Not every company keeps up with that. It, it is definitely something as, as a manager, as you're sort of looking at these uh, salary surveys that your, your company should be purchasing to stay abreast of the market. And as you're looking at your employee's salary, you should be being aware of this and, and sort of making sure that this isn't going to happen because it can happen in tech in a way that it, I don't think it, I mean, probably if you're a bond trader or something, it can happen in, in certain types of finance industries as well. But yeah. it's very, it's very weird to have growth the way that you see it happen in tech. And so definitely one of the, uh, your, it's entirely possible that large parts of your company are not paying attention to this. And so it's not socially something that managers are talking about as a problem. And it's something I'd also that say very few people will be focusing on. Ask about this in, very few people ask about this in interviews, right? So ask your, the person you're interviewing, you know, what did the, what was the team average for the raise last year? Merit increase, right? Was it 2%, which is just inflation, or did everybody get 3 or 5% on average, right? That, that could be a very, very important factor over, over the course of several years. Very good point. Yeah, and, 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 and that can be something that can be a surprise to someone moving from one industry to another. They're a Java developer in, in uh, the hotel industry or something like that, and they moved to be a Java developer in the petroleum industry, and they they discover that it's a completely different. They're going they're going to come in at roughly the same level because obviously they're not going to move unless they get you know the same amount or a bump or something. But then the the direction that 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 goes may be completely different. That's right. 
And actually that brings up another point that we kind of forgot to mention at the beginning with compensation is that there is this whole aspect of uh, risk because obviously I'm thinking about the petroleum industry and how it's sort of boom and bust a lot. There's this risk to your job, to your, your yearly compensation number, things like that, that people have to sort of take into account. Often, you know, one of the complaints about CEOs is this guy gets paid a you know bazillion dollars to, to run this company and the, the company's failing and it's, it's in bad shape. Why are we bringing on this new CEO for all this money? And the CEO is taking an enormous amount of personal risk. They may not have a CEO job in two years. And in order to lure them to take that job, you have to comp- compensate for the fact that they may not have it in three years. So that's a great point. So let's, let's um, mention that factor as we walk through these risks, right? So medical benefits should be pretty much zero risk. That's based for everybody as well as um, vacation and PTO time. There's a little bit of risk with PTO time if you're in a job where you get a lot of vacation, but you can't take a lot of vacation because there's too much work and you lose that time yep. at the end of the year. So yep. that, that's important. Again, and that's those high, pre- high pressure industries are paying a lot. They may be like, yeah, you know what? You got this vacation, but you absolutely have to get your stuff done. The vacation That's isn't right. guaranteed. So base salary, as far as financial compensation, tends to be the, the lowest risk. Yeah. Right. And as much as you can get of that, that's good. But if you want to get you know, a higher amount of salary, you may have to agree to have some of it be variable or a lot of it be variable. That's right. And, and this certainly happens more at, at the executive levels, right, where base salary tends to be a smaller and smaller component of that total compensation and more of it becomes um, performance-based compensation. Actually, then let's, let's talk about some of that performance-based compensation, which tends to be at higher risk. There's bonus, right? So an annual bonus tends to be at, at higher risk. And, and this, depending on the company, right, can be based on, you know, your personal performance in addition to the company's performance or at least your, your division's performance within the company, right? A lot of that risk cascades. There are other one-time bonuses, right? So a sign-on bonus or a relocation bonus, um, those don't tend to be at risk unless you leave within, you know, that first year or whatever that, yeah. whatever that period is, at, at which case you, you would have to pay that back. And I have seen employees do this thinking that they wouldn't have to pay it back after after giving in their resignation and boy that you feel almost bad for those folks i don't think i've ever actually had that problem but i have had to discuss it with people that they're like well you know what you know you may want to hold on for two months <laughs> yes right. you don't want to have this conversation and that's actually another that's and, a point with the with the annual bonus right is it annual or is it paid quarterly or monthly right the the more even that distribution the lower the risk tends to be yeah uh, because you're gonna you're gonna actually get it into your bank account as opposed to having some disastrous thing happen three quarters of the way through the year, you know your stocks crash and then all of a sudden your company's in, in desperate financial straits. There is the aspect a lot of companies those annual bonuses they they kind of get kind of locked in. You, know, you, you can give someone a performance bonus. You, know, you did a great job this year. I'm they're they're gonna start to expect that performance. That's that performance bonus or more every year, right? You know, like, like this is, this can be a tricky problem with performance bonuses that they begin to sort of expect that as opposed to being like, no, you have to actually, you were a rock star in 2020, which is why That's we right. gave you this bonus. You want that bonus in 21? You also have to be a rock star. That's a, again, it's a, 
it's an unpleasant conversation to have. So people try to not have it and tend to sort of, Hey, as much as possible, if we just kind of keep all this stuff the same and I don't have to have this unpleasant conversation, then great. I get to go home happy. The employee gets home, goes home happy. There's yeah. no, there's no anger there, but that shouldn't be the way it is. That is just the way it turns out to be many, many people would prefer to avoid an unpleasant conversation, especially if you're just involved. I'm going to give this guy an extra $3,000 that I don't really yeah. think he earned, but it's not my money. <laughs> so, right. you know. well, Actually, so that, that's another factor, right? That, that we talked about a little earlier, right? Which is risk. So even with that performance or that annual bonus, whatever period that's paid out, how much of that is at risk, right? What's the floor to that? What is the ceiling to that? and how much variability is, is in there. If you were to look at you know, a 10 year period for the average employee of a company, what was the average bonus based on that role? So how high and how low does that actually get? That, yeah, that's an important that's right. function and, the company. And companies spend a lot of time and energy sort of trying to make a very clear mathematical statement. Hey, this much is company performance, this much is maybe department performance, yeah. this much is your performance. And therefore, all those pieces kind of get less and less the discretion of the individual manager to make it easier for the company to kind of keep track of exactly how that stuff's getting, getting distributed. That's right. And then there are also um, retention bonuses, right? If your company is going through some sort of merger and acquisition or some other sort of change and they feel like it's important to make sure key people are there, right? They may give a retention bonus that says it pays out a certain amount over each period in, in some duration, right? Over a year or, or two years. And those are really tricky because obviously they come with an enormous amount of money and the, and the company is very interested in getting you know, this... Uh, key group of people to move forward with the acquisition and stay there to help with the transition to the new entity. And those can be really tricky to negotiate and to decide on whether or not to sign, because there's a lot of reasons for people to, there's a lot of risk involved, a lot of uncertainty. I, I don't really have a lot to say about that, except that um, those are really, uh, each one is unique and, uh, and interesting and uh, definitely a tricky moment in someone's employment history as they try to figure out whether or not that's going to be the right thing for them. Another, another good benefit, right. Or piece of compensation is if depending on where in the economy you are, right. Is restricted stock units. So if you're working for a public company or a pub, a company aspiring to be public in the future, they may grant you, you know, uh, a, some, some number of shares over a period of time and, and they may vest and you may get those annually, you may get them monthly over three or four years, whatever that is. And those, those can be super useful. Again, if you're negotiating with someone and there, there's a certain ceiling and salary number where you're close to that number, right? You don't, really don't want to, to go higher on salary. That's a, that's a good way to tie someone's compensation to the to sort of performance, not exactly their performance or the performance of the company, but you want, you're like, hey, if you think you're worth more than... Uh, what we're putting in our salary bands, well, prove it by here's some stock. And if the stock goes mm -hmm. up, you benefit from that. It's the same with stock um, options. And, yep. like yeah. and so RSUs can also right, be based on performance. Uh, and I've seen, uh, and, or at least I've heard of, right, companies based on your performance, you may get a certain increased amount of stock, which is, is a uh, nice incentive. Yep, I've seen that. 
So often these are negotiated as part of um, somebody joining a company, you'll get an initial grant of those RSUs. And depending on the company, there may be a refresher after that period. Mm -hmm. Right. So that may be a, a big part of your compensation for the first three years, but you wouldn't want it to entirely drop to zero. So the company may do some sort of refresher, you know, with, with, with some additional grant for the next two or three years. Yep. And again, as you sort of go up in level, as you go up in title and things like that, you'll probably have more opportunities in that regard. Uh, as more and more of the compensation blend goes towards company performance in an in a, in an, an attempt to get people's incentives to align with the incentives of the company. Yeah. Another one kind of like RSUs is an employee stock purchase plan, an ESPP. These come in, in different varieties as well, right? Where the stock purchase plan may allow employees to buy it at a 5% or 15% discount to market every either annually or every month or every six months. There's, there's certainly a tax treatment to that, right? So whatever discount they give you counts as compensation uh, when you buy that stock. Yeah. But I, I've never also- been in a situation where that's different for each employee. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like you would have one tier of employees who had one kind of ESP and ESPP and, and another one that would have a different one. It's sort of the same across the entire company unless there's some special rarefied uh, number for CEOs and things like that. There, there do tend to be... Um, Hot, you know, better, better numbers like that for the executive team. At that point, it's it's almost like like options, right, to purchase at a certain price. One, well, one, yeah, one I mean, at that at that point, it's like, ESPP. hey, your compensation is you buy the stock. If the company does well and the stock does well, you get money. If you don't, yeah. you're not doing a good job as an exec- executive. <laughs> yeah. But it's also right. Yeah. What at what price are you buying the stock? So with the ESPP. That's a factor of the market discount that the company is giving you. Are they giving it to you below 15, you know, 15% below market? And then is it 15% below the market value on the day that you buy it or within a period, right? So it's called a look back. If it's over the course of six months and they, they'll give you 15% off the lowest price, well, it's great when you see a big market dip and then recovery like we had earlier this year because you'd maybe get 15% off of that lowest price if you have a look back. Yeah. But aside from the executive team, you've never seen it to be different uh, aside from the executives, right? No. Yeah. No, it, that, that's it, it is definitely th- things like look backs and, and hold periods. Like those, those definitely are valuable things that people should be considering when they're, when they're talking, when they decide to right. choose a company. Yeah. But sorry, we, I didn't really talk about you know, hold period. You said the, the hold period, right? So that's another one, right? So if you buy the stock, do you have to hold it for the next two years or you get to sell immediately and having gained that 15% and maybe even more if there's a look back involved? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Another piece of compensation that some people get depending on the, the division that they may, may be in is, the, uh, is commission, right? So if you're in tech in sales, Right, there may be a component of your your compensation that's commission based on how much had been sold. And it's again, that's in, that's aligning your incentives with the company's incentives. And if you want to make more, you sell more. Um, pretty standard these days is four hundred one k benefits. Four hundred one k typically is pre tax. Sometimes they have a, a Roth option. Usually an employee has to contribute or may contribute up to a certain percentage and the company will match a certain percentage. I've seen 
company matches up, up to personally, I've seen three and 6%. I've heard of them up to 20, which is crazy. And boy, would that, would that I be awesome? Get it. And that there, some companies also will do an annual base contribution. I've seen companies who will do a two or 3%. They will just contribute by default before you've put in anything and then they will do a match. And that's kind of interesting. so like people's behavior changes. So if a 401k has a base compensation, there's a little bit less incentive for employees to put in their own contributions because they're going to get that no matter what. Whereas I was a company with a very high matching uh, number and people would absolutely defer part of their regular compensation and put it into 401k. And so they end up with a really high 401k contribution just so they could get that employee match uh, sort of maxed out so as much as possible. That's generally like that's best practice for everybody, right? Is get as much of that employer match as you can. I have seen there are companies with say a lot of employees and the tech employees may be paid pretty well, but if you're in a different sector, you have a lot of warehouse workers or a lot of call center workers that tend to be lower compensated. They tend not to save. So it's those types of companies that will do a, a base contribution to make sure those folks will save some, you know, have some amount of money there saved, even if they're not contributing themselves. Uh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That totally makes sense. Sort of give people at least yeah. um, some sort of nest egg, even if they're not sort of doing it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then there, there are, after-tax contributions. And this is a whole nother financial independence topic that we don't have to get into, but can you make <laughs> post-tax, post-tax 401k contributions? And then can you convert those from to, to Roth, which, which then would grow tax-free over time? So having that can be a pretty material benefit to employees if, if you have the money to actually put into it. And, and that's generally a, a benefit that is uh, more important to older uh, employees who are getting closer to a certain, a certain cutoff, a certain retirement cutoff. So depending on who you're, who you're trying to attract, this is something that could be very important to them if it's available. Yep. Everybody, right. IRS limits are going to apply no matter what company you work for in any of these things. And then you'll have a, uh, depending on age, um, you know, an additional catch up contribution amount. Uh, I think in for 2020, regular um, contribution limits are 19,500. And then there's another 6,500 catch up if you're 50 or older ways. Yep, to, that sounds to right. Something around moment. there. Um, and then another um, big factor so, for 401ks is oh, vesting period. Nope. That, that's a uh, vesting period is, is kind of like the, the stock options vesting periods as well. Yeah. All this stuff is good, but you have to stick around for a while to get it. Okay. It's it's that story of the oh and and uh, retention bonus is another one. It's all good, but you have to be there. It's like that story of like you know the, the monkey who who can't get get away from the trap because he's he's balled his fist around all the all the the bait and he won't. He, if he just released his hand, he could he could escape, but he can't. That's right. So he's got a fist. These are uh, um, these are gold. At some point, the golden the <laughs> golden handcuffs. Yeah, at some point. Employers make it so that employees have to leave something on the table to walk away. It's not, it's not great you know, which for is, the employee, which is a way but of, you know, incentivizing people who have built that context over time to your earlier point. Good point. Yes. It's valuable. So those are the, the high, the high level things. And one of the reasons that we're talking about this in this detail is that employees tend to just focus on one number when they're talking about compensation and it's very worthwhile going through all these things. One more that really falls into that golden handcuffs category is the pension plan. So 
Yes. It used to be a, a much broader thing and now has, has really shrunk as a portion of um, employees who are pension eligible. But this is a, a defined contribution plan, defined benefit plan, right? Where based on tenure, 20 years, 25 years in, you may get 80% of or whatever percentage of your highest three-year salary for the rest yeah, of the people your have life. gotten to, they don't trust those very much ever since the auto companies got less good at that. <laughs> That's right. But still very common in federal and state government jobs, uh, yeah. even in tech. Yeah, it's um, fairly easy to trust the government. The government's still going to be there. If it's not, you have bigger, <laughs> you have bigger problems. All these, all these should definitely be talked about. Like, like, yeah, as you're talking with employees, they, they're going to, they're going to come in and they're going to say, Hey, I, I, you know, I only have this thing and this is, I need more money. Other people are getting paid. My peers are getting paid more than me, not people in the same company. That's a different conversation. And you're like, well, there's this entire blend. And speaking of this blend, I think the medical stuff is going to change very severely over the next couple of years, next five, 10 years, right? There's, there's just all this, these revolutions going on there that are just going to trickle into the compensation story. And you're going to have all these weird medical things that are going to come up that are going to be available that weren't available before. But anyways, people are going to be comparing themselves to other, other people they know, their peers, and they're going to say, Hey, like, I don't get paid with this, what these other guys get paid. Why not? You have to kind of go through a lot of this stuff with them. And it's probably not great to go through with it all in one conversation. You want to sort of keep people aware of the good mm -hmm. things that are, that are going their way over the course of a year, rather than have them kind of drop this in your lap one particular time. So there, there are other small, smaller benefits, right, that you know, don't get valued in the same way in terms of total comp, and people tend to, to not add up financially. Things like, is there an on-site gym or food or medical care or even childcare? Things that start to defer your own costs, right? Things that yeah. you know, normally would have had to have paid out of pocket. Now you don't have to worry about things like and they're, they're like fun or they're nice. Yeah, uh, these uh -huh. kinds of things. Even things like paid cell phone or internet coverage, right? Which is probably going to become a lot more common now that everybody's working from home. Absolutely. That may become more common. The, the other one that, of course, is common is transportation costs. Hey, we're going to pay for your subway tickets to right. get back and forth to work. That may fade as people are like, instead, we're going to pay for your cell phone. So, you know, so I have. So with the executives that I've worked for, I, I've started to certainly see that at, at the executive level, a lot. So compensation tends to include a lot of things that take people's headaches away. Do you have to worry about a car payment? No, the company does that. Do you know, your, most of your communication bills will just have those mailed to the company and your secretary will take care of that sort of thing. I, I actually, I once had a CEO's secretary or administrative assistant tell me he paid, the company paid $12,000 to clean his gun collection because he liked to show it off to customers. Wow. <laughs> right. And, and even recently, company. right, we've heard that, all right, well, if you're uh, self-employed, on a TV show, you can you can expense your uh, your hair and makeup. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can it's, you know it's valuable in, in hair hair care. But at the, the face is the money maker. So some of those you know some of those things are standard, and some of those are really kind of pushing the limit. But other things that that I've seen also be standard for the executive level is paid housing. I've seen people making several million dollars a year that didn't have to pay for their car, their housing, most of their bills. And when the housing gets covered, they tend to also then cover a lot of the bills like water and like all of those things get tend to get covered. 
Well, this is, this would, is awesome, but this is this is not the kind of thing that most of the people we're talking to are going to be having to negotiate. I, I think would say the, the point is, like, I would take a $10,000 base salary as long as the rest of the compensation paid for everything else, right? So if, it, if a job dropped my expenses to zero and, and gave me all kinds of other options and, and benefits, I, I, you could take a really low base salary. Okay, th this sounds good, but there's a bunch of miners in Kentucky who are That's tried that a long time ago, and it did not work out so well for them. <laughs> but, but I think the point is, it changes a lot depending on your job, the level of your job, and you know even where you are in your career, right? So if when you get to that executive level, expect more of these smaller benefits to kind of fill out the whole package. And your, Absolutely. your total and, and, it's, it's much harder to calculate. And it's sort of like pitched in the, let us take this troublesome thing off your mind so that you can spend more time focusing on what we are paying you to focus on. And I, I have absolutely, I can't remember, but I have absolutely negotiated that a couple of times with some things like, oh, this thing is a huge pain. If this can go away, that's worth more to me than a raise. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to tell a, an interesting story here. And you can look this up because it was in the news. I worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And we had a CEO named Patrick Conway who got this horrible drunk driving charge with two children in the back of the car just swerving up and down the highway all on video. Oh, God. So, yeah. he, you know, the company didn't handle it very well. He ended up losing his job. A couple of the board members even had to resign. It was this major fiasco. And, and I know the company paid millions, millions of dollars in managing the communications around that, just crisis management. And I, and I thought, right, well, how much would it have been just to pay for a driver for this guy so that you know, oh, the company yeah. didn't, wasn't exposed to that sort of risk? And you know, over a decade, they could have paid and he would have had somebody drive him everywhere and the company would have still spent just a fraction of what it did dealing with that one incident. Yeah. But, oh, but just to the point, okay. right, around risk mitigation at, at a corporate level. Yep, absolutely. That's why they uh, pay for the jets as well. Not exactly risk mitigation, but, you know, how much is it costing us to get this guy back and forth through airport security from one city to another city so he can go on a meeting if we can get a jet and he could just zip back and forth much faster all that all that time saved right. is worth a certain amount of money and is he going to screw Might up get harder to pay for the jets with Zoom. From commercial air transport <laughs> or she this is right. but but i actually had a situation where i was managing a bunch of stuff in an office and they happened to have capped all the salaries so it was going to be difficult to do a salary negotiation negotiation anyways uh, my boss wanted to, to, you know, be nice to me. And I was like, you know what we really need in the office? We need a person to be able to handle this particular problem. And if you can hire someone to handle that problem, so that's not my problem anymore, A, that's going to be solved better. And so it's going to be good for the company. And B, that is worth a raise, right? That is, instead mm -hmm. of an annual raise, if I can stop worrying about this particular part of my day-to-day -day responsibilities, that allows me to focus on the things I really like doing. And I definitely feel like I add value to the company for. So that was sort of like a, 
completely bizarre conversation in terms of my personal compensation, but it definitely made my life better and made me happier to work for the company. I actually did this once as well. And you can, you can pull it off if, if you're at, at the right level where I said, you know, I'll take on these additional responsibilities, but you need to hire or you need to let me hire somebody who can help manage the communications because I'm going to spend all of my time making sure the right things happen and I won't have as much time to communicate those things. And I will need somebody to do that. I like so, it. Do they work well, out? You have to be in the right position and kind of at the right level to twist some of those levers. But they can be very important in being successful in a job and, you know, showing the value of that compensation. Right. And the conversation is, hey, we are all trying to head in this particular direction and we're trying to solve all these set of problems. And it's probably a better uh, use of all of our time if one person specializes over here and then we get someone else to specialize in this other aspect of the same problem. We're all trying to solve this together. Let's be creative on how to solve it instead of just offering me more money to sort of crush my life even further. Rather than doing that, let's let's figure out a way to, to divide the load in a way that makes more sense. That's kind of like a, a work-life balance compensation conversation and rather than just money conversation. At, at higher levels, right? So, you know, lower level tends to be administrative assistants. After that is you know, communications people, chief, chiefs of staff, teams to make those sorts of things go away. So you can focus yeah. maybe more on the, the strategic issues. All right. Well, uh, Vince, this has been uh, very good. And uh, we'll talk uh, in a little bit. Thank you all. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Standard disclaimer here. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of any third party. Where guests appear, the views of those guests are solely their views and no one else accepts responsibility for them. We don't verify the accuracy of the information expressed and we are not responsible for this information. We assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or admissions in the content. The information is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented here are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided here is done at your own risk. This should not be considered professional advice. Thank you.